13, starting with verse 1. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Siren, Manon, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, at, the work to which I have called them. Then after they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, and they sent them off. So, in the, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they set, went down to Senea. From, from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now moving to verse chapter 14. Going to um, yeah, chapter 14, verse 20, starting 24. They passed through Pisidia and came through Pamphylia. Afterwards, had spoken the words in Perga. They went down to Antioch, and from there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they began, where they were commended for the grace of God for the work that they had they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together. They reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. They spent time, considerable time, with the disciples. Praise be the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Okay, I know. Say it again. I want to say it. What is it? Yes. Yes. I, I didn't say it as well as you did. Let's <laughs> Praise be to God, though. God be praised. Um, so we're in the middle of this, well, in the middle, we're almost done this series. Uh, five weeks, missional God, missional people. Um, you know, it would be our desire that we would, by the time that we're done this series, have everything fixed, but it doesn't work like that. Um, which means we're going to have to keep coming back to this idea of missional God, missional people. This is not something that we are, it's not a problem for us to solve. It is a, uh, it is a biblical truth that we need to align ourselves in. And, and what is happening right now with each and every one of us is we're also aligning at, in different ways and at, at, different, uh, at different rates. Um, uh, I remember my good friend Terry Carpenter, this is a lot of years ago, Terry, we remember we gathered together for pray, prayer on Tuesdays, and I was doing a series, I had been here, in my mind, maybe a year, year and a half, and we were starting a series, and I remember just saying to Terry, you know, after this series, I think it'll all be fixed, or something like that, and, and I, I remember you reminding me that that's just not, that's not how it works, that there is a, a constant reminding of these biblical truths, and that's why we believe in the scriptures so strongly, and we're just going to keep teaching the scriptures, and then we're going to teach them again and teach them again, um, which means, and this is our prayer, is that some of you are now more aligned with the mission of God. Some of you are now more invested in the mission of God. Some of you are just listening. In reality, in a room of this size, and, and, and first service, right, was full as well, um, a lot of people are, are not listening like they should listen. And, and when I say that's okay, it's really not okay, but I trust God with that. Do you? I think we should. I think we should trust God with the working out of these things. So there's, a, there's an importance with this time, even though Paul took, I think, 30 minutes to introduce those people, um, which was fun. I love doing those kinds of things, so I think it's great. Uh, but it is really helpful, and, and, and remind, it's helpful to remind us 
that what we are doing here on this five-week series, Missional God, Missional People, is not something that we're just going to, we're not, we're not just going to solve it, but we're going to keep coming back to it, okay? Let's just keep coming back to it. And this is what we've talked about so far. Week one, we discussed that God lived in mission, that God's purpose is not just to create, but then after creation rebelled against him, that he was going to restore it, and he wasn't going to give up. And so the mission of the church is not something that God has just assigned to us to keep us busy. It's not just an extra homework assignment to just make sure uh, that you, you have something to do, but it is who God is. It is his character and his nature. One of my favorite quotes is, the mission of God is more about his character than it is even about his activity. It is, a, it is the, the natural way in which God exists, which is in this outward directed love and care for everything um, and that extended to his creation even as creation rebelled against him. And so we saw in Genesis chapter 12 that God said to Abram, I'm going to call you out of your family and of the place where you grew up and I'm going to send you somewhere and then I'm going to bless you because it is my desire to be known throughout the world. And I'm going to use you to do it. And so it's this invitation for Abraham to receive a blessing so that he would be a blessing. And that's where we begin. And then the next week, we learned that the temple, which for many of us who are are not Jewish by nature, when we think about the temple of God, we think, oh, that's a Jewish thing. It's It's something for the Jews. And they had this temple, and it was this amazing thing. And I've been many, many times on the Temple Mount, and I just try to imagine what it would have been like to see the, the temple there, uh, whether it be Solomon's or Herod's temple, and just, wow, that would have been an amazing thing and a very special thing for the Jewish people. But when you go back and you read Solomon's prayer, the divine author of that, not Solomon, but the one who was breathing the words of life and passion into Solomon, he literally prays, and may all the nations know who you are because of this place. May your presence in this place and your presence in this people, may you become known in the, in the nations, and may the nations come in and celebrate you and know who you are because of this place. And, and honestly, I, I kind of knew that before, but hearing Ryan preach it was very encouraging to me. And I'm thinking to myself, that is, that is true. That's what the temple is all about. This isn't a new idea. This isn't, this isn't Old Testament God, New Testament God. This is God's plan and purpose that all the nations would know who he is, his love and his kindness and his mercy and his greatness. Last week, we had an opportunity to just learn the complexity of this prophet, Job, who was very reluctant to go. And he wasn't reluctant because he thought, well, when I get there, it's not going to work. He didn't want to go because he knew it was going to work. Or at least he knew that if the Ninevites, this very wicked, reprehensible, this is a group of people that invented ways to be destructive and evil. Okay, they're actually, the, the, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, were the ones that were, were the precursors to what the Romans did with the cross. And the Assyrians were, they tried to perfect ways to terrify their enemies. And so when Jonah's told, go to Nineveh and preach, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, okay, but if, if, if they repent, you're going to forgive them. And I'm not cool with that. And so we learned last week that, that God will go places that will shock you and that God will offer kindness to people that you think are beyond it. And then we had that pretty powerful thought, Jonah or Jesus, which one are you more like? And we want to say, like, in our nature, without the goodness of God, without the grace of God, we can become very selfish, very insulated, very tribal in our own thinking. But because of the Holy Spirit, 
there is something that should change in us, should radically change in us. So now all of a sudden there is this outward directedness. And and when I say outward directed, it's not just because people matter, although they do, but people matter because God has made them in his image and God is worthy of their worship. So today we're going to be looking at, we're going to, hear me, we're not jumping over the cross, but we are in Acts chapter 13, which means we're presuming the cross. So you all know what the cross accomplished. And if you don't, I would like to tell you. So give me a moment. The cross is God's plan in the world in which God said, I know you have rebelled against me, but you are mine and I love you. And I'm not just going to let you go, but I'm going to pursue you. And then not only that, but then he demonstrates this goodness and this kindness by sending his son to die in our place for our sins, to establish a kingdom, and to offer an invitation to us. And all of that happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. And God formally declares, this is what I am all about. This is the greatest demonstration of my love. This is the greatest demonstration of my glory. This is the greatest demonstration of my purpose in the world is me through my son, Jesus Christ, going, being sent and going and sacrificing everything so that I might be glorified and you might be blessed. That's what the cross is. And then what the church in Acts gets to figure out is, so now what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Last week, Drew, in his message from the book of Jonah, um, was describing that, that probably one of the most pivotal verses that explain the book of Jonah is found in chapter 4, where in chapter 4, Jonah makes it very, very clear, isn't this what I told you before I left? I knew that you were a gracious God and a merciful God, and I knew you'd forgive them if they repent. That's why I didn't go. And that verse probably does explain the book of Jonah very, 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 very well. But there's another verse that, that really has always captivated my attention and my heart that explains it in another way. It's found when Jonah is in the fish, and Jonah is is praying out to God, and he's making a lot of statements, and it's not just, poor me, or I'm in trouble, rescue me. It's a number of different things, and he spends a lot of time talking about the greatness of God and how messed up people are. And in the midst of that exchange, he says something in chapter 2, verse 8, and I want you to turn there, Jonah 2, 8, it'll be on the screen as well. In Jonah 2, 8, here's a statement that he makes. And it's a true statement. Jonah actually says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. A couple of things. First of all, it describes them as cherishing these idols. Other other translations say, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's one of my early translations I memorized it in. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit, give up, abandon. The, the, the grace, the, this, this translation is faithful love. The word there is one Hebrew word, chesed, which is God's covenantal love. And what Jonah is saying in that fish is true. Those who are idol worshipers, those who reject God, have essentially abandoned God's love. They have abandoned God's grace And they don't deserve it in the first place. And I don't disagree with Jonah. I totally agree with you. Those who abandon worthless idols have, literally, by definition, forfeited the grace that could be theirs. Now, here's what's ironic. No, it's not ironic. 
It's not irony, it's actually divine providence. The word there, chesed, the covenantal faithful love, is something that God did not promise to all the nations. It's a very specific description of the covenantal relationship that God has with Israel. What Jonah is saying in that fish is that those who have clung to worthless idols have forfeited God's covenantal love, and yet he's going to Nineveh where they don't even have that covenant grace, they don't even have that covenant promise, and they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. And then those who have a covenant relationship, those whose ancestors have sworn to be faithful, those whose ancestors have committed themselves to God and had numerous times to celebrate and to be reminded about how much God loves them and God cares for them and God called them out of Egypt and God provided for them in the desert and God gave them this land, they're the ones who find themselves clinging to worthless idols. And again, If you were looking at this book and you're looking at it as literature, you would say, oh, how ironic. It's not ironic, it's providence. This is actually a biblical theme, is that God consistently extends his kindness to people, and sometimes those who are closest, who've heard it over and over and over and over, they just got back from a high school week, and they've heard it, I don't know how many times. And they begin to come like deaf to it. And then there are some people that have never heard it before. And they hear it and they're like, wow, how do I get a piece of that? Like I know I shouldn't even have been listening, but I was just listening in and I want a piece of that. How how can I get a piece of that? That's a biblical precedent. And and here's why. Jonah 2.8 is correct. That those who cling to worthless idols, who um, find their hope in, in worthless idols, and they are worthless, they do abandon and forfeit God's covenantal love. But God does not abandon and forfeit them. That, that is huge. God, God does not abandon and forfeit them. It is not fine, you're going to be like that? Well, then I'm going to give up on you too. That's who God is. And by the way, that's who Jesus is. And so what we actually see in the early church is a group of people who understand that to be like Jesus is more than just um, character reformation. We really need to pray more, which we do, and worship better, which we do. We really need to, um, we need to grow in love, and we need to grow in kindness, and we need to learn to be more gentle, and all of those are true. We need to be more joyful. Yes, we should. All of those are fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and we need to become like Christ and go. Just straight up go. That's what we need to be. That Jesus, this is how the Bible describes him. At the very beginning, Jesus was in the very nature God. And everything was made by him and through him. And without him, there was absolutely nothing that was made. And yet Jesus, looking at who he was, One with the Father. In fact, God himself did not hold on to that, but he emptied himself because God loved the world so much that he was going to send his son so that the world might be saved through it, that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life to the glory of God the Father. And so the son was the first one to say, I want to go. I am willing to go. And so often, when we talk about becoming more like Jesus, 
It is about an important part of the Christian life, which is the reformation of us, the sanctification of us, so that we look more like Jesus with the words that we say and how we act and interact with one another. That's all true. And we go. We go. We model the example of our Savior, and we are actively engaged not just in our lives and becoming more like Jesus, but living out what it means to look like Jesus as we go across the street and around the world. I mean, I would say that that's a good way to think about it. Start walking out your front door and stop when God tells you to stop, right? That's basically what it's all about. We all don't have to go to Poland. We all don't have to go to China, but we got to leave the front door. And we got to go outside this building. And that's basically what the, what the gospel says. And that's the example of Jesus Christ. And so what we literally see, the early church, ready to go. We're ready to go. We have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. We have received this incredible gift. And so now it's our turn. We need to go. Basically look at what we see in our text, the, the, the section that Twombie read from Acts 13. It says that as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them off. They were ready to go. They are involved in worshiping the prayer and fasting. They are engaged in what God is actually doing. And they have positioned themselves not to just receive, but always ready to go. Now, now here's what's interesting, is that we think about the church at Antioch as being the sending church, but I want to take us to a place, and and I don't have it on the screen, so you're going to have to open up your Bibles and look here. Go back a couple of chapters to chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. This is is really, really helpful for us to understand what is going on in Acts chapter 13. The name that that is probably one of the most popular names for people who are followers of Jesus Christ today is Christian. Christian. And that term was first used of the people in Antioch. Luke's going to record that in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And the Christians, or they were first called Christians at Antioch. Um, in, that, um, in, that, in that verse, we get, a, we get a glimpse into what's going on. It's interesting how, in, in the way that we look at it, yeah, the, the church at Antioch really needed to send. They had received, and so they need to send. But I love how the Bible is, is far more... Uh, layered and intricate than that. I mean, there's just so many different aspects, um, so many different plans, one, one overarching plan, but so many ways in which God is acting and interacting with his people. I want to look at verse 19 and read a little bit. Look at this. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, that's Acts chapter 8, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word of God to no one except Jews. But there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks and also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was on them and a large number who believed uh, returned to the Lord. News about them then reaches the church in Jerusalem and they send out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. Hold on to that. What he sees by people who are following Jesus Christ, he sees what, what you are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, is you are a manifestation of God's grace. You are living proof 
of God's grace and God's kindness to the world. That's who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. You are the embodiment of God's grace to the world. Now, by the way, you're not only God's gift to the world, so hear me, don't read it like that. But you are God's gift to the world. You're the embodiment of grace. Here's what he says. And they saw the grace of God, and he was glad and was encouraged, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a large number of people were added to the Lord. It's not just that Antioch is like, yeah, we've got it good. We should share what we have. Now, when you read Acts in its context, it's this. We wouldn't have what we have if somebody hadn't come here. There are Gentile believers in Antioch because the church in Cyprus sent people to preach the gospel there. One of the most important things for us to have, um, um, not just a not just a universal concept. This isn't about like diversity is such a great quality, sure. But it's a quality because it is a, the character and the nature of God. That God wants the entire world. And God is sending the entire world to the entire world. Like, I think it's great that people are coming and going and going and coming because God has a plan and a purpose. And the church at Antioch is ready to go. We're ready to go. And they are worshiping and fasting. They're worshiping and fasting. They are, they are looking at Jesus. They are worshiping him. And they say, in light of who Jesus Christ is and in light of what who Jesus Christ does, my life's got to be more than just signing up for a Bible study in February. My life has got to be more than just going on an occasional mission trip. My life has got to be more than just deciding what I'm going to do with the rest of my life so that I can enjoy my life and be a blessing to my family, which is not a bad thing. My life's got to be a whole lot more than that. And so the church is praying and fasting and ready to go because God may call them. And they need to realize that the only reason why we're here is because someone else came here and spoke to us. I really think what the church at Antioch is doing is they're ready to return the favor. And they send missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, to Cyprus. You know, Andrea and I, when um, basically there was this prayer gathering in Calgary back in the 80s, and we heard about how desperate things were in the States and how, how you guys needed believers to come and preach the gospel. And Andrea looked at me and she said, I think we should go. And I said to her, amen, sister, because that's what Christians call each other. And I said, amen, sister, we really should go. And so Andrea and I packed up and we moved down here. You're welcome. You're welcome, because we, we did. We heard about how bad it was in Missouri and Indiana, or sorry, Illinois. We didn't live in Indiana. Illinois, um, and then Oklahoma, and so we just decided, no, it's, it's important for us to do that. Like, that is so not what happened. <laughs> and we really should be careful. Even though it might look like that we're blazing trails, I remember baptizing a good friend of mine in Africa. And I had actually heard that uh, this was one of the first baptisms that has ever happened in this part of, of Ethiopia. And I'm going, yeah, I doubt that's true, actually. I think a lot of stuff's been going on. I, I think when I get to heaven, God's going to go, I know you thought, but let me tell you what really happened. Like, I know you thought you were the first one, or I know that you thought that this is how it got there. I think about people that were some of the first people, in my mind, who shared the gospel about who Jesus Christ was to my parents, unbelieving heathens that they were coming from unbelieving, very kind, very educated Canadian families, just lost and going to hell 
And I think, oh, I'm very grateful for the hearts. And I'm very grateful for, and I have these names in my mind, some of whom I've met when I was a kid and others who I've never met. And when I get to heaven, God's going to go, I was doing so much more than that. There have been so many interactions that have been happening, so many things that are actually going on. The church is ready to go, but please, may we never have the attitude of, wow, we've got it, we should give it. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more intricate in terms of what it actually means and what it looks like. So yes, the church is prepared. And yes, the church is ready, but we're ready to be committed to the end. It's, it's not about just sending people. What I love about using verses thir- or the few verses at the beginning of 13 and then at the end of 14 is it encapsulates what is known as the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, who he leaves Antioch. He then travels to Cyprus. He then travels up to what is known as southern, uh, southern Turkey. He then speaks in a number of different places, meets almost opposition completely, but some churches are established in some cities which we are going to get the letter to the Galatians from. Paul is going to write a letter to them. And then they return home. What I love is that the church wasn't just good luck with that. It's not we're proud of you and we'll be rooting for you. There is this active engagement of ongoing connection. Just like there was from Cyprus to Antioch and now Antioch back to Cyprus. There's going to be as Paul and Barnabas go out and do an amazing ministry, and then return back to say, hey, by the way, it's not just accountability, it is the opportunity to celebrate, this is what the Holy Spirit has done, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing, we're in. Thank you for helping me see and to celebrate what God's ultimate plan and purpose really is. That's why the text says, chapter 14, beginning in verse 26, From there they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God. That's what, that's that's such a beautiful picture. Barnabas saw the grace of God when he went to Antioch and he saw Gentiles coming to faith. He saw the grace of God and when they sent them off, this is a great phrase, we commend you to the grace of God. So often when we think God has something, God has something in store for you, you know. Did you know that? God has something in store for you. I wish I could look at every single one of you. You know, God has something in store for you. And this is what we think. Oh, cool. What is it? I love getting stuff. Like, I'm serious. I love getting stuff. Like, I'm the poster child of, of more. I love it. I, I want more. I want more. And, and then what we realize is what the Bible describes of what God wanting more, and it, it's not like he wants more from. No, no, no. It's for. But God wants something for us individually and collectively. And what he gives us is mission. Across the street and around the world. Walk out your front door. Stop when he says stop. That's what he has in store for us. That we would have that picture of our Savior. And that we'd realize that that's what it actually means to follow him. And so the church celebrates the good news of what has happened. And so I want want us to do a couple of things. First of all, I want, I want to say this to you because I don't, I don't think we, and by we, I'll just say me, I don't think, um, it, well, in the church in general, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that preaches uh, sometimes, um, we, we don't share the words of Jesus as often as we should, which go like this, well done, well done. Sometimes when we say that, it's just a matter of um, flattery, and that's not what I'm doing here. Um, I have been... Uh, genuinely blown away 
by this church and its commitment to the glory of God around the world. I've been blessed to be part of teams that have been sent to so many places and who've been prayed for. And it's been a joy to, to give to those things and to, to see the work that God is doing. Joe, remember being in Africa and we're trying to figure out how to get water there. Um, in Ethiopia, and, and Paul were in uh, Ghana uh, looking for ways to support churches where Muslims are creating havoc in the northern part of Ghana, but the church is just continuing on. Um, I've been to all these different places, and, and, the, and the church, been to, I don't know where uh, um, our, our friends Dina, they went, maybe they, maybe they were in first service, but I was in Poland with some, how many, how many of you have been to Poland with me? Raise your hand if you've been to Poland with me. Yeah, there, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Um, Atlanta, right? Remember, we've been to Poland. I mean, this is, this is a beautiful thing, and it's not just about us going, it's about us supporting, and, and we do, we care deeply, and so much of our resources, financial um, and, and time-wise, are spent recognizing what God is doing in the world, and I think it is good for us to not just pat ourselves on the back, but to be mindful of the fact that God has called us as a church, sometimes individuals, collectively as well, and we have responded faithfully, right? To go to Japan, Justin. So that is so critical, and I think it's important that we recognize, I don't think we're starting at square one on this idea of missional God, missional people. It it is a part of who we are. And yet, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, um, I don't need to say this to you, but let us be committed to do so more and more. So the series is not, come on guys, we're not doing anything about missions we really need to. No, the answer is, listen, as a church, we are doing a lot about missions, and I just think there's so much more to be done. Amen? There's so much more to be done. There's such a huge need that exists. And I'm talking out your front door, to the end of the world. And are we a church that's going to remain to be ready to respond to what God is doing, has done and is doing in the world? How do we remain committed and not just passive to these things? Now, we'll answer this in a little bit in our prayer time. So I promise you, I have a little more to say that we'll we'll do there. But I, I will tell you this. I really believe that how we are going to get there, how we are going to remain ready and committed to go is right there. I believe it is in the act of communion that we understand what God is all about. And I know we're about to take it, but I want to do so intentionally because it is so mission critical that we don't just look at all of what we have and, oh, we should share this. Like, just think about how we have been blessed and we should share this. Listen, I've heard that. I've heard a number of people say, and I've probably said it myself, I brought my kids on this mission trip so that when they go home, they'll learn to be more grateful. I, I hear you. And it probably is good for kids to learn to be more grateful. About what? An Xbox? A motorbike? The opportunity to have a college education? To be able to follow their dreams in this country? 
That's not the mission. What will keep us ready to go? And the answer is we will reflect on weekly what we have. And Jesus Christ said to his disciples before he ever sent them, I want you to know like who I am and what I am all about. What's more, the cross demanding on Jesus, the cross or the incarnation? For the record, Morgan, I think it's the cross. But it's no small thing, amen, Christmas girl? It's no small thing that Jesus Christ gave up all he knew was divinity. And he gave that up for us. It's not just about gratitude. It is about understanding the responsibility when Jesus takes his body, breaks it. He takes the bread, which is represented. And he says, I want you to take this and I want you to eat this. I want you to embody this because this is who I am and this is what I'm about and this is what I have done and I have done it for you. And I pray that when you take this, you don't just receive it, you don't just appreciate it, but you understand that to eat this, to partake of this, is to share in the responsibility of God's great mission in the world. In light of that, let us take it and eat. In his blood, given for us, let us drink. So we stop and reflect on what we have and the answer to that before it is anything else is Jesus. And we recognize the responsibility that we have. And I believe that by us reflecting on this, we will rightly be able to order ourselves and become more missionally minded in every aspect of our lives. And the other thing that we actually see in the book of Acts is worship. By us gathering together and remembering who Jesus is, and singing his worthy praise. I pray that as you sing the words this morning that you reflect on what you have in Jesus and you sing out with great joy and triumph what he has done for you. And then I want just in the back of your mind for you to constantly be just thinking and not everybody has this. Not everybody can sing this. Not everybody knows this. And may you sing it in such a way where you are truly and genuinely giving glory to God and at the end of every verse just asking, and, and what more can I do for you? Let us stand and sing and worship like that this morning.